0: are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, I invite you to turn with me this evening to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We are coming to the end of this book. We're at the the soaring conclusion of the body of the letter. This letter written to elect exiles, as Peter calls them. Those scattered throughout the earth who belong to God Almighty. Peter is writing to them to give them encouragement and hope and much practical instruction. But we come to this great exclamation point this evening. As we look next time, we'll finish up the book. We come to the, to the end of the body this evening. But let us now pay heed to the reading of God's word from, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This week I received received a late night text from a member of Redeemer asking if I would pray for his wife. His wife, also a member of Redeemer, was having a Facebook conversation with a woman. We'll call her Mary. This woman, Mary, that she had met through a pregnancy Facebook group the week before. Mary was considering having an abortion. And the member of Redeemer was befriending her, trying to convince her that abortion is not right. It is not the way forward. But to this, Mary responded that she did not want to, quote, bring a person into the world with so much suffering it is encouraging to me to hear what God's people are doing I hear stories regularly of what members of Redeemer Church are doing in the world being salt and light in the world and this is a wonderful example of engaging with the world I think this is a great time to pause and to consider Mary and to pray for her to pray for her and and others like her Mary lives in Cleveland and is struggling with this decision And so please pray for Mary and for the Redeemer member as they have struck up a new friendship. But I want to ask you this evening, how would you respond to this statement of Mary? What would you say to someone who said they didn't know if they wanted to bring a person into the world with so much suffering? I don't know that Peter would actually dispute one of the premises of her statement. I'm not sure Peter would dispute the fact that the world is full of suffering. He's been going through this entire book highlighting that fact over and over. The world is full of suffering. And he's talked sometimes about how this takes the the shape of persecution for being a Christian. But he talks other times more broadly of the suffering we all face in a fallen world. And that's what he draws our attention to this evening. He's writing to small communities of Christians Who, in the midst of their joy of their their newfound faith, they're smacked upside the head with the realities of life, the difficulties of life. He's helping them make sense of this world. This is a resounding finale of, 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 of gospel encouragement for us all here, as we all face a similar outlook on life like the first century Christians. These are words to post on your refrigerator words to memorize, to call to mind in the good and the bad and the mundane moments of life because Peter here brings us back to what is true. We need to remember what is true. And knowing what is true orients our life today towards our future life with God. We'll look at our passage in three headings this evening. First, we'll look at what is true now, Second, what is true of God. And third, what is true of the future. First, let us see what Peter has to say of what is true now. He begins verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while. He brings to mind suffering. Suffering that comes in many shapes and sizes. Suffering that is physical. Suffering that is emotional or relational. Suffering, sometimes that looks like religious persecution, but he tells us suffering is real and we will experience it even as Christians. Suffering is hard and it has led many to despair of life itself. And I'll say, if, if you don't know suffering, you will. If you don't know it yet, you will at some point. We all face death in our future. Whether it's the death of a loved one or your own final journey through death, there will be suffering that you will face. Life is, as we've said many times, a veil of tears. The 20th century sociologist and cultural commentator, Philip Reeve he once observed that in past times, people did not go to church to be made happy. They went to have their misery explained to them. They didn't go to church to be made happy, but they went to have their misery explained to them because he's critiquing now a therapeutic culture where we go to church to feel better about ourselves, to feel happy. He's saying, no, in the past, people understood that life was difficult. And so we went to church to understand our suffering in light of eternity. That's what Peter's doing for us tonight to help us understand our misery, have it explained to us in light of what is true. I think too often we are more interested in denying the reality, this reality of life, the reality of life in this world and seeking eternal happiness now than we are in seeking the Lord in the midst of life's difficulties. Suffering itself is predicated on the reality of sin. No sin, no suffering. But because sin has entered our world, it has broken our world at its core. And suffering now cries out to us, the world is not how it should be. This is not how it was created to be. Sin upended the world. It broke our communion with our creator and with one another. It broke the world to its very core. And now the rot of suffering that exu- and misery that exudes from this world, this world that even prior to sin was good and, and, and did none of these things, it shows us we are in need of things being made right. And we'll come back to this. But for now, suffering exists. But Peter says, you suffer now for a little while. For a little while. Now, he's not saying your suffering in your life will only be for a little small part of your life. He's using language that sets our experience now in relation to the eternity of glory that is coming This present age is passing away. The age to come will fully envelop us. Our suffering is but only for a season. The whole of our lives now are but a blip on the eternal radar. In the true scheme of things, our lives are only for a little while. And as much as we feel like every moment here is lasting for eternity, it is not. And he says your suffering is only for a little while. What happens now does not define you. Your sin, if you are in Christ, does not define you. Your suffering does not define you. All that you see today is but for a little while. It will pass away as Christ himself is revealed. Suffering will end for the Christian. So what is true now? What is true now is that we experience great suffering great suffering, but it does not have the final say. And for those who are in Christ, our suffering will come to a decisive and complete end. It is only for a little while. And Peter tells us how it will come to an end, why it will come to an end, as he reminds us of what is true of God. So let's turn to our second heading this evening, what is true of God? Peter writes, the God of all grace Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ? Without this reality, the God of all grace, without this, there would be no hope of that suffering coming to an end. And in our sin, apart from Christ, our suffering, indeed, there is no promise that it will cease, it will continue for eternity. But God comes to sinners. God comes to us in our sin and our shame and our misery with all grace. Peter calls him the God of all grace. There is no grace but that which is found to him. Every drop of grace is in the God of the universe. And he comes to us. He overcomes our sin. He overcomes our arrogance and our pride. He overcomes both the respectable sins and those sins that you keep tucked away in a closet and you won't tell anybody about. There's nothing too filthy. There's nothing too dirty, too guilty, too shameful for the grace of God to step into and wipe away and to leave you pure before the face of the almighty God. He is the God of all grace. And this grace has a future orientation, as Peter says. The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory. Or maybe a better way to say this, he has called you into his eternal glory, to step into, to come into this glory that will persist for eternity. The glory of the triune God the creator of heaven and earth. He has called you to this end. This is what we were created for, and now in sin we have been called out of it as his beloved children into the glory of God forever. And he'll expand upon this in a moment. But this calling into this glory is calling a calling in Christ. All of this, all of this grace that comes to us is, has come in Christ those who trust in him now belong to him, are united to Christ, are his, are his brothers and sisters, co heirs of this eternal life with Christ. And so, the ground of all of these great promises that your suffering will come to an end, that you will for eternity come into the glory of God, the ground of all this is Christ himself, his life and his death, and you being united to him. By faith, everything that he has done is now yours. Every benefit that he has is now yours. And also being united to him means you have a fellowship with him like never before. You know him. You belong to him. He cares for you. He is your shepherd. And as we read this morning, he calls your name and you know his voice. It's a communion and a fellowship that we share with this great Savior. What is true of God is that he is more loving and gracious than imaginable. And our salvation was designed from the beginning to pull us from the misery of our sin and to bring us into the eternal glory of God himself. So we see what is true of God and let us turn to what is true of the future what is true of the future. And this is an explanation of this eternal glory. Peter goes on to say, God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is what it looks like to enter into that eternal glory. This is incomprehensible to us, though because our minds are stuck in this world right here and right now. We, 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 we can't get outside of it to understand what this future will be like. We can't imagine perfection, how the glory of God will transform us all into what humanity was created to be. Theologians call this the beatific vision, the blessed vision, the blessed sight of God. As we read earlier from 1 John, we will see God and we will be like him. We will be transformed. No, not that we will become gods, but we will become like him in every way a creature can be like its creator. We will be like him in all purity and righteousness, all joy and peace, enjoying the fellowship of God. And this is the greatest hope of the Christian. Peter's made this point elsewhere through this book, and I've said it before, but it bears repeating that we we often talk about being forgiven of our sins and and praise God for that because, because there's no hope for those who have their sin upon their own shoulders. But the purpose of being forgiven of our sins is not simply to be forgiven of our sins. The point of being forgiven of sins is that we can have this, that we have fellowship with God, that we have this blessed vision of God that on that final day, when our bodies are resurrected out of the ground and our souls and bodies are reunited, we see God face to face. That's the point of all of this. It's not sin for being forgiven sin for the sake of being forgiven sin. It's so that we will have the righteousness of Christ, perfect righteousness to stand in God's presence forever. This reality, this beatific vision is too great for us to understand, but theologians have have, have done uh, done the best they can, although struggling, to find words to describe it. One of my favorite descriptions of this beatific vision is by a man named Benedict, Benedict Pictet. He was a professor of theology in Geneva, and in 1696 he wrote this, "'Eternal life will consist of the perfect knowledge of God.'" of familiar intercourse and intimate union with him, of the possession of all those good things which flow from divine communion, of the vision of Christ, of supreme love to God, of unspeakable joy, in short, of as great a degree of enjoyment as can belong to the creature. That's what we have to look forward to. In the midst of this veil of tears, we have a future of, of joy greater than we can comprehend now. Peter's describing here with these four words, this beatific vision that so many theologians have tried to put, their, put words on. He gives us here this mosaic with these four words. They don't mean four distinct things, but they're all getting at this same idea of this joy we will experience, the perfection we will know in God's presence. He's highlighting these targeted, or he's targeting felt needs and desires that we have. He says, are you feeling incomplete or lacking? Do you feel never good enough? You will be restored. Maybe even better, you will be perfected on that day. Maybe you feel unsettled, always thrown for a loop by your circumstances, never having it together, you will be confirmed and established in the eternal rest of God. Or maybe you feel weak. Like every day drains you, drains every ounce of energy from your body. God will strengthen you. This is what Isaiah prophesied when he said. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He's looking at this blessed future, the same future Peter points us to, of communion with God for eternity. This is truly scratching the surface because our minds cannot now comprehend what it will be like to behold God himself. We will shine greater than Moses' face when he met with God. We will be changed and forever established. Every tear will be wiped away. No more suffering will ever come upon us. It will be pure bliss and joy that only comes from sharing in the life of God himself. So what is true of the future? What is true of the future is that it is far greater than we can comprehend. So where does that leave us today? Where does this leave us now with this great future? Are we stuck now in this world of suffering? I think as we look at this future, this glorious future, the future reaches back into today. And these days that, yes, are full of suffering that Peter has discussed, yes, they're full of that, but we are changed even now in the midst of it. We are looking forward to the, what that future will be like. We're setting our hope upon things in heaven. Peter has implored us to set your hope upon the grace that will be revealed. As he said in chapter one, he's calling us to yearn for these things. And as we yearn for the future, we are changed in the present. We do what that hymn said, to turn your eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We experience a foretaste of this eternal glory now. We have the down payment of eternal life as the Holy Spirit resides in us and yes, gives us a peace that passes understanding because we know the end now. We have joy now. We are given, but a taste Of what is to come and so we come to verse 11 and Peter's only response to this this gospel promise in Christ what is happening to the to the Christian his response to this is now to him be the dominion forever and ever It is a response of praise. Response, what else can you do but glorify the name of God? Glorify the one who is himself perfection. Glorify the one who has promised eternal blessedness for his people. So we are now a praising people, a glorifying God people, a loving one another people because of what he has done for us. We tell of his wonderful deeds. We glorify him. We sing to him. We say to him, be the dominion forever and ever. I want to circle back to Mary's story. Now again, I ask you, how would you respond to Mary's statement about her her resistance to bring a person into the world with so much suffering? What would you say? I think we have to take a lot of time to unpack some of these things, but Here's a start at what I would say. Yes, suffering is real and hard, and Christianity does not promise relief from it now. Adam's sin, our own sin, is to blame for our suffering, but God has done the unthinkable. God has given us a greater story within which we can place our suffering here and now. He's given us this greater story of the context of eternal the eternal glory of Christ, of God in Christ. Yes, without him, your suffering will be without meaning, but in Christ, your suffering is a window into the grace and mercy of God. So turn to him. See the beauty and glory of God. Teach this child who he is, but turn to him. Turn to him. Look forward to his eternal glory that is awaiting. So here's the rub for Mary. Yes, your child will come into this world of suffering. There's no way around it. It is true. But the child in your womb is a human being created to share in the eternal and magnificent glory of God. Teach this child of this gracious God. Call this child to trust in him. And come to this God yourself. Despite the suffering you experience now, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Without Christ, all of this suffering is indeed meaningless. And the nihilistic philosophers, I would go down those paths with them. But in light of what is true now, what is true of God, what is true of the future, there is great meaning To the God of all grace, who has called every believer to his eternal glory in Christ, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us look to him in prayer. Oh, gracious God that you are. We are astounded that you would give us these good gifts, that in Christ all of these blessings are ours. Oh, we long for that day of entering into your eternal glory. Father, hasten the day, hasten the day of Christ's return, that we would look into His face and hear those words, "Well done, my good and faithful servant, as we enter into the eternal rest. We pray, O oh Lord, that you the future would be molding and shaping us now, that we would be a people yes of suffering, but even more a people of hope, a people who know the God of the universe and look forward to your work when Christ returns. We pray, O Lord, for Mary, and ask that you would strengthen her and that she would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and of all of us as well, that we would know your grace and your mercy in Christ as we look to him. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, To connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.